0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Resident Review with our Quick Hit series. Today we'll be talking about wrist injuries, anatomy, and all, all things wrist in service. Um, so let's get started. Hannah, you want to start off with wrist fractures?
1: Thanks, Nick. So the, we'll start by talking about scaphoid fractures, and this is 60% of carpal bone fractures and is the second most commonly fractured bone in the upper extremity after the distal radius. 10 to 20% of these fractures occur at the proximal pole, and proximal pole fractures have the highest incidence of avascular necrosis. This is because the distal pole has the best blood supply due to retrograde flow, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So surgical intervention for humpback deformity is indicated if the intrascaphoid angle is greater than 45 degrees. Normal is 30 to 40 degrees. And peak incidence of scaphoid fractures in men, not surprisingly, uh, young men aged 20 to 24. In terms of the anatomy, 80% of the scaphoid is articular cartilage. The dorsal scaphoid branch of the radial artery supplies 70 80 percent of the scaphoid. The volar scaphoid branch of the radial artery Can come from the radial artery or the superficial palmar branch. And this enters the scaphoid at the distal distal tubercle and supplies the distal 20 to 30% of the scaphoid. The scaphoid is a very important carpal bone because it links the proximal and the distal carpal rows. The long axis of the bone is tilted volar and radial relative to the long axis of the upper extremity. A palmar approach is often chosen For operative fixation of distal pole and waist fractures, and a dorsal approach is often appropriate for proximal pole fractures, although screw fixation is becoming uh, more common as well. So in terms of management, a thumb spica is often worn for 8 to 12 weeks for acute, non-displaced, stable scaphoid fractures. So even if it's not initially seen on x-ray and there's a high suspicion, it's best to put the patient in a thumb spica in the ED. And some studies suggest that a patient should have six weeks of above elbow mobilization to eliminate rotational forces on the scaphoid. MRI is the imaging modality of choice to characterize scaphoid fractures. And this is better than CT. So operative management is also indicated if there is displacement of greater than one millimeter in any view and the appropriate X-ray view for uh, identifying a scaphoid fracture is ulnar deviation and wrist extension. The scaphoid non-union uh, can occur in anywhere from 4 to 50% of patients, and this is failure of the fracture to heal within six months. Patients will often have decreased wrist extension, pain at the snuff box, and the scaphoid tubercle. There are several procedures that can be used to treat scaphoid non-union. First is the RUST procedure, and this uses iliac can bone grafts, and then there are several vascularized bone grafts. Uh, one is the one-two intercar- intercompartmental superretinacular artery, and this is located between the first and second dorsal compartments, superficial to the extensor retinaculum. Now, what we more commonly use here at Duke is the medial femoral condyle flap, and this is based off the descending genicular artery, which is a branch of the SFA. And you find this pedicle posterior to the vastus medialis and anterior to the adductor tendon. And then there are several salvage procedures um, for scaphoid nonunion, and th- these include limited intercarpal fusion, proximal row carpectomy, scaphoid excision, and four corner t- fusion, or ultimately a total wrist fusion. Triquetral fractures, these are the second most commonly fractured carpal bone and are most often dorsal ridge avulsion fractures. And these can be treated non-operatively with cast immobilization for four weeks. So hamate fractures, these are usually seen with golfers, tennis players, or baseball players from repeated stress. And to identify uh, a fractured hook of the hamate, you'll want to order a carpal tunnel view. patients will often have hypothenar tenderness. Next, we'll talk about the scapholunate ligament. And this is a C-shaped ligament that contains dorsal, volar, and membranous portions. The dorsal portion is the thickest and strongest. It has transversely oriented fibers. And there are several important secondary stabilizers, including the radioscaphoid capitate, RSC, the long radiolunate, the short radiolunate, and the STT. As well as dorsal structures such as the dorsal radiocarpal and the dorsal intercarpal ligaments. So, another topic that comes up a lot is scapho lunate dissociation. And this is the most common form of carpal instability. And the mechanism of injury is axial loading of the wrist that is extended, ulnarly deviated, and intracarpal supination. So, presenting symptoms include pain over the SL, which is one centimeter distal, distal to Lister's tubercle. And the patients may have a positive Watson's or scaphoid shift test and have painful clunking or clicking. So to perform the shift test, uh, you'll place the examiner's thumb on the palmar surface of the patient's distal pole of the scaphoid. The examiner's index finger should be placed on the dorsal surface of the scapholunate joint. And then you'll possibly move the patient's wrist from ulnar deviation to radial deviation while applying a dorsally directed force on the distal pole of the scaphoid. A positive response is dorsal pain with detection of dorsal subluxation of the proximal pole of the scaphoid out of the scaphoid fossa of the radius. And that's the clunk that you'll feel. And then there are many specific X-ray findings that will indicate an SL injury. So to get a scapholunate view, you'll need 10 degrees of hyperpronation. And the best test for a dynamic SL injury is a clenched fist view. Remember that the SL interval may appear normal on x-ray. However, this will eventually progress to static changes, which is why it's important to get a dynamic clenched fist view. The scaphoid will flex as the injury progresses, leading to an increased SL and radioscaphoid angle. This is known as the cortical ring sign. There'll also be collapsed carpal height due to capitate subsidence, and the lunate will extend. The criteria for radiographic diagnosis of an SL injury includes an increased SL angle of greater than 60 degrees and an SL gap of greater than 3 millimeters. And this came up recently on in our in-service. And MRI and an MR arthrogram are great ancillary imaging modalities, but arthroscopy is the gold standard for diagnosis. And this with this, you're able to perform anatomic and functional evaluation. This includes a grading system based on the appearance of the SL ligament and the ability to pass an arthroscope through the SL interval. And this is known as the Geissler grade. The progression of lunate instability can occur over time or acutely with trauma. And progression typically follows where occult injuries can turn into dynamic injuries. Eventually you'll have scapholunate dissociation, which may be a stag deformity that progresses to a DC deformity. And with a DC deformity, you'll have the lunate that extends and the scaphoid flexes. And finally, you'll have the development of slack wrist, which is scapholunate advanced collapse. Nick, do you want to take it from here and talk about slack
0: wrist? Sounds good. So the stages of slack wrist are, uh, as follows. Stage one is arth- arthritis of the radial styloid. Stage two is going to be arthritis of the entire scaphoid fossa of the distal radius. Stage three is going to be arthritis of the capital luna articulation. Treatment of these injuries is extremely complex and depends on the stage of scapulunae injury, as well as certain preference. Um, so it's going to depend on whether you have a dynamic, dynamic or static injury versus a slack wrist and which stage of slack wrist you have. Um, in general, for acute SL tears, dorsal ligament repair through bone tunnels or suture anchors with supplemental k fixation of the SL and SC joints can be performed uh, with protective motion splinting for two to three months. Partial tears can be addressed with arthroscopic debridement, pinning, and immobilization. For chronic injuries that are still reducible, this can be addressed with salvage procedures such as dorsal capsulodesis for dynamic instability, tenodesis with the Brunelli reconstruction, uh, Bone ligament reconstruction or arthrodesis, either uh, scapho trapezial arthrodesis or, or scaphocapitate arthrodesis. Um, arthritis c- can be addressed with radial styloidectomy for stage one slack wrist, proximal row carpectomy, scaphoid excision and four corner fusion, complete arthrodesis, or arthroplasty for later stage disease. For rehab after SL repair, um, you want to. So is, they
1: often begin with dart thrower's motion just because it minimizes. Like if they're going to move, they
0: start with that motion. That, okay, got it. So it's like that, that is the, the movement that's safe, right? Yeah. Got it. Okay. When we think about rehab for SL repairs, um, what patient is going to start with movement with a dart thrower's motion. So this is uh, minimizing the motion between the scaphoid and the lunate bones this is radial deviation and extension to ulnar deviation and flexion. So if you think about throwing a dart, that's the motion that you make with your wrist. Uh, lunate dislocation or a type four a perilunate dislocation represents a complete disruption of the ligamentous stabilizers of the lunate, except the short radiolunate ligament. You may see a spilled teacup sign on a lateral x-ray. And if you have a failed close reduction and persistent median nerve symptoms in these patients, you will need an urgent carpal tunnel release. I
1: would strongly recommend, I've done a couple of these in the ED, is to sedate the patient before you attempt this reduction. It's, it's a tough one. And grab a friend.
0: That's what I hear. I haven't seen one yet. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to kind of wrap up with some degenerative arthritis talk. So osteoarthritis of the uh, carpometacarpal joint presents with pain with gripping and pinching. Thinking about our anatomy, um, we have five major stabilizing ligaments of the CMC. You have the anterior volar oblique ligament, the ulnar collateral ligament, intermetacarpal ligament, the dorsal radial ligament, which resists dorsal dislocations, the posterior or dorsal oblique ligament, which resists dorsal dislocations as well. And important to remember that the CMC joint is a biconcave saddle joint. Uh, For diagnosis, on x-ray, you want to get an eaten stress view. This is used to visualize the thumb basal joint subluxation. I'm thinking about the different stages of uh, CMC arthritis. So for stage one, CMC arthritis, we're going to see joint synovitis and preservation of the articular surface. We can address this with ligament reconstruction, um, reconstruction of the volar beak ligament with FCR, you can do a metacarpal osteotomy to adjust the adduction contracture, and or you can do an arthroscopic debridement and thermal capsulorophy, um, although there's no long-term data on this procedure. For stage two through four disease, we think about an ablation of the involved articular surface. You can do an arthrodesis, which is a good option for a laborer or someone that's going to need to use their hand frequently. Um, The incision for this is going to be between the APL and the EPB to approach the joint capsule. You can do a total trapeziectomy, uh, plus or minus an LRTI or ligament reconstruction and tendon interposition. You can do an implant arthroplasty. You do a partial trapeziectomy with with interposition arthroplasty or a tightrope procedure. So a lot of different options. Um, I think something that came up recently on our in-service exam was the difference in outcomes between a trapeziectomy alone and a trapeziectomy plus LRTI. And uh, the only significant difference here was uh, less operative complications uh, with the trapeziectomy alone. So there hasn't been uh, a lot of outcomes difference seen in the literature. So a lot of this is a surgeon preference. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I think tightrope is kind of uh at least here becoming more popular than, than LRTI, which is a pretty big surgery uh, You know, to use the whole FCR or even part of the
0: FCR. For sure. Uh, moving on to wrist arthritis, we'll wrap up here. Um, STT arthritis presents with pain over the radial aspect of the wrist, but a negative grind test you can treat with STT joint fusion. Uh, a four-corner fusion is fusion of the capitate, lunate, hemate, and triquetrum. And in order to perform this procedure, you need to have preservation of the radial joint. For proximal row carpectomy, you need an intact capitolunate articulation that's commonly tested. Uh, and the capitate falls into the lunate fossa of the radius, and you can expect recovery of 80% of grip strength and 50 to 60 degrees of range of motion. Other procedures that we think about for wrist arthritis are total wrist arthroplasty. And finally, wrist arthrodesis is a salvage procedure. So that wraps up our conversation and our review of wrist for our in-service coming up. Um, we hope you enjoyed it and good luck studying. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Nutrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit nutrellsurgeon.com.